Hey everyone, it's Michael Antonovich with another installment of the Midweek Podcast presented by Yoshimira R&D. Every now and then I'll ring up someone in the sport and talk about what we see happening around the pits, on the track, or in the retail space. For this episode, I spent an hour talking with Bruce Sternstrom about the changes made by Monster Energy Kawasaki ahead of the 2022 season. A lifelong race fan that's held executive positions throughout the industry, including four terms with Kawasaki, Sternstrom's explanations and outlook leave little to misinterpret. Although Eli Tomac's departure from the green team was one of the most significant developments of the last year, the group's decision to put Jason Anderson alongside Adamson Cirillo has yielded immediate success. To date, Anderson has claimed three main event wins, has outdueled the sports best on multiple occasions, and is ranked second overall in the 450 class championship standings. Is Sternstrom surprised? Less by the results and more by Anderson's personality. Part of Bruce's role as director for all racing operations at Kawasaki Motor Corp USA is finding the right people for the job and seeing how they work together as a group, something he says Anderson has been excellent at. Another topic discussed at length was the perception that Monster Energy Kawasaki is very strict regarding bike setup. Over the last few years, we've heard repeated comments by former racers that the group prefers the KX450SR to be tuned and ridden a certain way, and this was said to be a factor in Tomac's decision. Sternstrom says that is not exactly the case. Yes, the team has lots of data to show what the motorcycle does on the track and what it's capable of, but they're still more than willing to try parts or settings if a rider is interested. Because our call came hours after announcements for the FIM World Supercross Championship, I asked Sternstrom if the series is something Kawasaki is interested in following. In recent years, the Monster Energy Kawasaki team has turned away from international events to instead focus on the American-based series, and Sternstrom outlined some of the reasons for their absences at things like the Motocross of Nations. Simply put, racing in America is where Kawasaki Motocorp USA wants its efforts to be directed, thanks to the largest off-road bike buying market in the world and the two established series that travel the country. Thanks for listening to the Midweek Podcast. I'm still shaking out the details of this one, which is why Bruce is the only person on the screen during the YouTube video, but feel free to share comments or recommendations about what you'd like to hear. As always, be sure to like, subscribe, follow on social media, and visit SwapMotoLive.com. You probably already know that Yoshimira makes the best exhaust options for Honda motocross and off-road bikes, but did you know they make great power for Yamaha, Kawasaki, KTM, Husqvarna, and Gas Gas? Yoshimira has been delivering power since 1954 and can make your bike run and sound the best it can. Visit them at yoshimira-rd.com to see how they can make your bike bark. Hey Bruce, thanks for joining me for this midweek podcast presented by Yoshimira. So many people know you as the face and the higher up for Monster Energy Kawasaki race team, but there's so much more involved in it in your position at Kawasaki. So can you explain what it is in your day to day? Well, my role actually is I'm a consultant to our racing efforts at Kawasaki. Um, primarily, um, our main function, obviously, is Supercross motocross teams, our 450 team, our Pro Circuit uh, 250 team, our Team Green effort. And then we're also involved in, uh, we have a small road racing effort that we uh, have put together um, with uh, Graves Motorsports. And then we're just getting involved now, uh, kind of learning a little bit about the side-by-side -side racing. So um, along with that, we have a, a very robust, I would say, contingency program that really touches all those, those sports. For people that don't know, you've done two terms at Kawasaki. You've been there for quite a long time, left and did uh, 
a short stint at Monster Energy and then came back. So you've seen how the brand is from top to bottom for years, from the American side of things to Japan, everything that they've been through. It's not like you're just focused on one thing. You see the company for everything that it is. I've actually, I've actually had four, this is my fourth time back. Oh, is it really? Okay. Yeah. So, um, it's, I, it's, um, I've had a lot of different roles, you know, and I ran the IGSBA and jet ski racing for almost 11 years, came back. And then I left, uh, for a few years, I was at monster, uh, energy for about almost four years, pretty close to four years. Then I started a consulting company and then came back for the role that I have now. Um, I was working with IMG Motorsports for about two years out of London, England. So I've, I've had quite a few different roles. And um, I think, you know, I love racing and I've been had so many different opportunities in racing. Um, and, you know, but uh, I seem like I always end up back at Kawasaki, you know, they're, they've been great to me. They, you know, always, um, you know, really, I'd say treated me like gold. Mm -hmm. For a lifelong race fan, like you are to step into it in the business sense, the IMG thing to, to hear that is huge. You know, people that don't realize what they are, but all the things that they're involved in, in every facet of business. When did you realize in your position, how much the business side of racing was really necessary and, um, how have you anticipated that just as a race fan? Well, when I, when I got started, my, really my first, I guess, uh, foray into racing as a profession was team green in the early eighties. And, you know, I, I wasn't somebody that came from being a pro rider. Um, I, I did race. I wasn't very good. I was a much better mechanic than I was a rider. Um, but, um, I came more from the, I'd say sales marketing side of things. So I, my business, you know, my, the racing thing I had to learn really from the standpoint, but I, I always loved it. I always wanted to be part of it. I think like a lot of people have, but I brought, a, I think a different side of it. Um, you know, I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't a pro rider. I wasn't a pro mechanic. Um, I came from, you know, more, like I said, sales marketing side of it. So that was the, I felt like my strength was organization was, um, you know, uh, people side of things I could handle quite well. And that's really how I got, I moved up, I think through the ranks, I'd say at Kawasaki and through other uh, efforts that I was involved with in the jet ski racing and IMG motorsports and those, those uh, different jobs that I've had. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when we talked last night, um, just kind of set this interview up. One thing I really took away from our conversation is how much you have to understand what people are doing in your team. It's one thing to make the motorcycle fast. It's another thing to set the budget and, and to do all of this, to find the right people to put into a group together the way that you have. How do you, A, how do you find these people? How do you scout them out? Are you looking through the pits at all times? And then what do you uh, see as your ideal candidate for a new employee? Well, I, I think the, you know, the people part of this business is really the most critical part. Um, you know, one of the, one of our goals, I think, um, when I started this, even going back to 97, when I first took over the pro motocross team was, I felt like if you had a good team of people, 
it was a very attractive situation for a rider to be part of. So our objective was we wanted to have the best riders. Well, to have the best riders, you got to put a good team together of people that have a very diversified level of talents so that, you know, you don't want everybody to have the same skills. You need people that can do different things. And, you know, some guys are natural born leaders. Some guys, you know, are happy to be followers, you know, to follow those leader leaders. And so you need the mix. You need different people with, you know, different points in their careers. Um, some guys that really have upsides, they want to do more um, as they progress. And some guys are happy doing what they're doing. And you, you have to look at each person individually and what important roles they play for the team. And it, it's, it's always changing constantly. You know, people, people change, you know, they have different things that happen in their lives, you know, and this is a, <laughs> to, to be honest with you in the racing world, it's, you know, if you're single and, you know, have a, a, a crappy apartment and a, a torn down pickup truck or something, you're probably a best candidate to be a mechanic mm -hmm. because you're going to be gone all the time, you know, and yeah. once, once you, you know, you start, you get married and you have children and things like that, then it's more difficult to travel, you know, uh, and it, it, it plays on, on, you know, your family life. So, um, you know, then maybe you need a different role on the team or maybe another position altogether, like in the company or, or another company. So, it's a, it's really um, a very transitive type of, uh, you know, being part of a race team is something that we're always looking for new talent because it's, it is, there are a lot of challenges associated with it as far as the travel. When you look at, for our, a team, you're looking at 30 weeks, you're going to be gone on weekends minimum, you know, and that doesn't include testing and potentially other events that come up. So it's really important that people understand this and and are willing to you know you got to put this first i hate to say it but it's really that's a big expectation we have guys that are willing to i say sleep on the mat next to the bike mm -hmm. you know if we ask them to yeah coming into this year everybody knows the changes that you guys went through uh obvious the most obvious is ey leaving you guys hiring jason but there's other things that happened too. You guys had Brian Kranz take on an internal role with the team. So he's now more in the race shop in Foothill Ranch. And then you hire Jason Montoya to be Jason's mechanic. When you're going through these things, are you a guy that gets stressed by these situations? Or have you done it so many times now that it's just kind of old hat? Well, you know, it's always hard to see somebody like Eli leave because he did so much for us. Um, you know, with the success that he had. I mean, he was the winningest rider in the world during the six years that he was here. And, you know, nobody could touch the number of wins, race wins that he had in championships. He was, did a, a great job for us and will always be, you know, indebted to him really for all he's, he really did for us. But, you know, part of this racing thing is you have to be able to move on. And we, we had some, I'd say several candidates, but a couple of them that were really solid. But when we realized that Jason uh, potentially was available, we pushed really hard for that. And um, we had actually met with him several years ago about, you know, uh, you know, talking to him and, and we talked to writers all the time. I mean, it's a constant, you know, situation. Um, that's part of doing our, our due diligence really, but um, we were really, 
excited to be able to have Jason on the team. I didn't know him real well um, at, you know, when we first talked to him, but since he's been here, um, which isn't that long of a time yet, but he's I'm really impressed with him as a person. You know, he's so genuine, so honest. Um, uh, he's, he works hard. You know, I think a lot of people think, oh, he's, you know, he's not a hard worker and man, I'll tell you, he's put in the work and I really, I, I can't say enough about what he's done for our team. Um, his positive attitude. I mean, he's really been, everybody just loves, loves Jason on the team. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, with Adam, you guys have stuck through Adam through everything, the highs and lows, especially like you said, you oversee the pro circuit operation in a way as well. So you've seen Adam come through that and his rise and fall and, and everything that's gone with it. Um, this year, you know, a lot of preseason testing and then he unfortunately has the shoulder injury he nurses through that and then hurts his knee at San Diego for you guys to be in that position as a team. What is it like to support a guy that, you know, there are going to be troubles. There are going to be challenges that go through this and keeping them so, um, motivated, but then a feeling like they're appreciated and feeling like they're not going to get cast aside at any time. Adam's been with us. I think it's 17 years now. Mm -hmm. And yeah, he said since he's been eight years old. Yes. So, He's really part of our family in a sense. And, um, you know, he's, he, he has so much upside. Um, and I think if you really look at um, our sport, almost every rider goes through this injury situation, you know, until they learn how to um, really manage their, uh, let's say, their potential. So all these guys can go fast, but it's a mad, mad, matter of when to go fast and not go fast hundred percent of the time, because it's, you're really putting yourself at risk. It's something that you're seeing with the younger guys, um, super fast guys, and then they get injured. And this has happened to Adam. Um, we're, we talk to him about this all the time. We actually just had a meeting with them yesterday um, about some things and um, obviously he's somebody we value on our team. And I mean, going into the, the preseason when, uh, Jason first came over and we had done a lot of pre-testing, as you had mentioned, um, with Brock Tickle, who's now our test rider and Brian Kranz, who's technician for our testing group. They had done a great job, um, getting some new settings for our bike. Uh, with our Showa suspension, because we moved both the riders over to Showa this year. And um, it was really, uh, I don't like to use the word exciting, because it shows up in every press release, but exciting to see both um, Jason and Adam, how fast they were going. And one day, one guy was a little bit better than the other the next day. So we're thinking we're going into the season with two guys that are podium every week. And that's hard to say with the, with the stiff competition that we have. And obviously we respect all of our competitors because we know how difficult this is. And, but that's what makes it worthwhile for us is how hard this really is to succeed. And, but we were really fired up about our two guys and, and the, the pace that they had. And, um, you know, and everybody probably says that preseason, but this was very unique this year to see, 
And these guys are riding against each other. And actually, we had to kind of separate them for a couple of days a week just so they could calm down and, and continue their testing because they were riding so hard. And um, when Adam got injured, um, it took a little wind out of our sails and, and for sure him. But um, uh, we're, we're um, excited to, you know, to be part of what he's doing. And uh, we believe in him. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. Like you said, Adam has been here his entire life. You know, yeah. He's been part of Team Green forever. You have seen this guy grow up from a little kid through the teenager stage and all the attention that was on him, uh, a young adult, early 20s. Where he's at at 25 years old, I talked to him at uh, Minneapolis two weeks ago, where he's at and just the outlook that he has on things is unbelievable. Like it, He's just so mature and so open and understanding of the ways that life goes. Uh, how has it been for you to see one guy mature all the way from childhood to where he's at right now? Well, he's been, you know, he had a lot of um, weight on his shoulders um, as of, you know, coming out of mini bikes is this uh, next, you know, champion level guy. And, you know, I think he took a lot of heat from it at some point, you know, early in his career when he had some injuries um, people forget, uh, he won his first supercross race ever, mm -hmm. you know, in 250. Um, and he was a boy, literally. I mean, he could barely <laughs> touch the pedals, so to speak, you know, and, um, but he's always had that desire and that, that will that has never been shaken. Um, and I just, all of us on the team really admire him for what he's been able to do. And I think, you know, people say, oh, he's hurt all the time. He's hurt all the time. Well, he's not the only one that's hurt all the time, you know. And this sport, as we've learned, is brutal. Um, it it has um, – it's it's a great sport, but, it you know, you basically have your team, your, your racers out there with helmets, boots, and long underwear. You know, there's, there's really no protection. And even, you know, there – you know, there are some shoulder pads and things like that, but not sure that – that's really a solution to the whole thing. But, um, you know, it's, there's a high risk. And um, if you look at any top talent, they've all been through this. Some just get through it quicker than maybe Adam has at this point. You know, that's really probably the biggest shortcoming that he's had is that we haven't been able to arrest this situation. Mm -hmm. You guys have been in a very unique position for years because Eli's dominance you know i mean that's what people want that's what you guys hire a guy like that for is to win races and put the bike in the front and make it look like the best bike that's available to the consumer but adam has a whole different role yes he's fast yes he's you know capable of winning at any moment but he's very good about um connecting with the average fan for you guys especially you from your marketing experience how important is that to have someone that's able to see all sides of it because we see Dean Wilson at Husky and everybody's like, well, why is Dean at Husqvarna? How does he still have a factory ride? What he brings to the table for that group through his vlogs and through his contests and the bike giveaways and all these things that sells a lot of Husky bikes. That's a lot of attention for that brand. That is a needed component more than just race wins. I think it's important, <clears throat> but I, I will not. Um, yeah. First you have to win. You have to be able to win. Um, you have to have the ability to win. And that comes first. Um, this is a race team. But I would say, <clears throat> excuse me, um, 
all of that, uh, the, the marketing side is valuable. And just the, <clears throat> the winning thing is, is so important for us. It's because we use, um, you know, uh, it's our way of proving our product. Mm -hmm. So example, um, you know, though the riders prove to the customer that this bike is capable. And some people say, well, that isn't the same bike that I can buy. Surprisingly, it's really close. I mean, and I think all the teams really, I mean, not just Kawasaki, but the bikes are so good now that what we're using, and of course we have production rules. So frames and swing arms and crankcases, cylinder, cylinder heads, all those parts are production. So um, yeah, we have more power um, and you know some different suspension components, but it's only personalizing the bike really more than you know making it something that let's say somebody couldn't have. So you know the the race winning is really for us what proves that we belong here. Uh, you know, we're part of this and, you know, Kawasaki is serious about this and we make a good product. That's really, I'd say number one for us. Okay. Um, so the two biggest topics that we wanted to talk about in getting you on the phone, uh, was bringing Jason in where he's at right now, how it is to see him go up against Eli, your former top writer. And then also the stigma that, Cowie is so rigid in the way things go with what you guys want to do on the bike. Those are really the two biggest things that we hear talking about the team right now for Jason to see where he's at. Um, you know, he's, he's riding great. Even the nights like qualifying on Saturday in Arlington wasn't his best, but when the gate dropped, he was right there for it. What, uh, what do you guys see right now as we hit this halfway point in the championship with him and, uh, really no need to change anything as this goes forward, huh? I think he's done a great job. Um, you know, the, he's, I think he's just matured enough now to, you know, we're qualifying. We were, we actually tried something in qualifying that we've been working on with him for uh, a couple of weeks now. And, you know, he wanted to try it. We were kind of mm, maybe not in race, you know, in qualifying and we did. And it, you know, um, he, but he was good with it. And actually with eighth pick on the gate, I think it really helped him because, um, and we talked about this after was it forced him to the inside. And that's where the, he was able to get starts from on the inside. Probably had he qualified in the top three, he would have been more in the middle, which as we saw, there was a lot of uh, commotion, uh, you know, uh, towards the outside of the first turn. So it might have actually worked in his favor. Obviously, we didn't plan it that way, but that's the way it ended up. The way it ended up, I think, for him. And mm -hmm. what I what I've seen in him is somebody that's able to adapt to the circumstance <clears throat> very quickly, and his riding uh, skill is unbelievable. Really, what he's been able to do. He's always been on a pace to be able to be the leader of the race, no matter if he starts, he's, you know, he's had a couple of bad starts where he's been eighth or ninth. And then, you know, he's had some really good starts where he's whole shot it. But I think overall, um, you know, he's able to always go forward. 
And um, that's something that's very, very difficult to do week in and week out. Mm-hmm. Does he ride the bike? I mean, obviously, different riding style than Eli, but for what you see, how does his technique benefit that KX? He's very light on the bike. Um, he, he rides a little higher RPM. Um, you know, doesn't really rev the motor. He's not real hard on the clutch. Um, he, he's very, um, you know, he, he pre-jumps stuff. I mean, he's, like I said, he, you don't, the bike, I mean, we take it apart and it's like brand new all the time, you know? And, uh, so he's, you know, he knows he, he has an innate ability, skill, to be able to see things that maybe some others don't see um, lines that others don't see, or when he's, when he, one of the things that I'm really impressed with is when he's um, he actually uses practice and qualifying for what it's supposed to be used for to learn the track and see other lines where, you know, somebody passes him, he's got another line to be able to get around him right away. And it's, he's been able to do that several times this year. And um, so pretty smart guy, I think, on the track, really, as far as um, that. Um, I wish he wouldn't have ran into um, Stewart this last weekend, but, you know, that, I think when you push as hard as he does, sometimes he gets himself in a little bit of a jam, and that's something he needs to work on a little bit. Mm -hmm. That was my next question. You know, there's been a couple really good opportunities that have slipped through the fingers this year. Uh, Obviously, couple bump and runs at Anaheim races, uh, San Diego with the radiator cap, but then he's been there, you know, I mean, yep. even at, at Minneapolis, he knew he was probably the second best guy that day. And then things unfolded and he got the win. Yep. Where is your outlook and the team's outlook when things maybe don't go as good as they should, but you guys still come away with some good takeaways from the night. Well, um, like and Jason says it every week, and I and that's kind of our mantra is we look at this one week at a time. We're not looking at, oh, let's see, we got three races, he's good at Detroit or he's good here or whatever. We're looking at it like, okay, we're going to Daytona and what do we got to do to have success at Daytona? And that's it's a you know, to get too far ahead, you tend to mess up, you know, what's right in front of you. And He's, um, he's really done a good job of compartmentalizing things and been able to put things away. Like when something didn't go right, like the first race last week in Dallas, he was able to put that aside and go out and win the next two races. And, you know, um, he wasn't down about it. He, was, he didn't like it. He was bummed that he made that mistake because really, there was no reason to really get in that situation, but he was going so good at the time, you know, it's just one of those things, you know, and I, it's, it's a bummer. And, but, you know, he was able to rebound from it very quickly and put it behind him. So um, I think really if he would have got up quicker and been ahead of Stewart, he would have won the overall. Mm -hmm. He just needed one spot. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, even as the last race was playing out and I saw where the points were, I'm like, man, just one more earlier could have changed yep. You know, everything as the night goes on. The, to watch him and Eli was amazing as well because, I mean, there were times that I set the camera down and just followed those guys through the track. For you to see your current rider face off against your former rider, you obviously know the things that Eli is going to do. Um, how has that been, just as a race fan, really, to 
you know what both guys are capable of. You can almost see things, how they're going to happen before they happen, right? Or or is that not the case? Well, we, I mean, obviously we, we have a lot of familiarity with Eli and, um, you know, a tremendous amount of respect for him. And, you know, what you're seeing right now is what he is. I mean, he's a winner. Mm-hmm. He's a champion. And, you know, for us, uh, you know, to be in that situation where we can compete with him um, is great. And, you know, like I really, I have to give uh, Jason a lot of credit for really coming in. You know, we, <laughs> I can't tell you how many guys have come in, you know, to, I'd say, interview for a job as far as a writer and say, oh, I'm going to win the championship. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, and I'm like, oh, really? Okay. But Jason didn't say that. He came in and he said, look it, I've really let myself down and I'm going to put in the effort. I, I know I can do this. I know I can succeed. And, you know, he went to work and, and did that. And um, it wasn't something he just started he had started this, you know, he was obviously injured at the end of last season and he had already started getting himself ready to go. And um, so, you know, he, he'll, he'll be honest with you. He's, you know, tw- just turned 29 years old. And, you know, in the history of our recent sport was that that's retirement age, but mm-hmm. we're seeing guys now, I mean, he's really put in the, the work and the effort and it's, it's, it's definitely paying off for him. And I really give him the credit, really, for this. On to that point, um, seeing guys ride, you know, into their late 20s where Ricky retired at 27. You know, RV was done at 27, 28. What do you think it is right now that is keeping guys going a little bit longer? Um, is there anything you can put your finger on, or is it just kind of all these guys having a moment at the same time? Um, I think a lot of, let's say, the Carmichael, um, Villapoto, Dungy, uh, you know, era, I'm going to say, which was over a few years, I just think they were, they were under so much pressure and, and really, you know, knowing two of those guys in particular, um, well, and I, you know, I, I've talked to Dungy a, a fair amount, you know, but they're, they really, um, it was win or swim for them. Mm-hmm. you know, and they, it was very difficult for them not to win. And they didn't want to, I don't think they wanted to be in that position, you know, where they didn't succeed. So, um, and I, I, I think the fact that there's more balance now, we don't, you know, I mean, Tomac obviously has been dominant, but I would say maybe not dominant like a Carmichael or, you know, Villapoto where they, pretty much either one or like the world came to an end, you know, that mm-hmm. same night. So um, Eli's more measured in how he looks at things. And, um, and uh, I, I would say that, so the, I would say the paddock is different than during that era more than anything else, which allows these guys kind of a, you know, if they don't win, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. So, okay. Is that something, okay, with Eli and I, you know, we, we see how focused he can be when everything's going well. And then you have John in there who's, you know, world championship athlete, same driven mindset and everything like that. The attitude that these guys have, is this more from within and the group that's around them? Or is this pressure also come from the team? Because 
you haven't changed. You know, you're, you're, you, like you said, see guys and, and the way that they mature and, and life, you know, adapts to them and, and things like that. Has Kawasaki as a group tried to lessen the pressure or has it always been the same forever? I don't, I don't know that we ever applied the pressure. Now, I okay. think it, I think it really came like, for example, Ricky Carmichael. I don't know if I've ever met anybody more driven as an individual and um, so demanding of himself and to succeed and so unforgiving if he didn't to himself. And, um, you know, I could, there were several instances where, I mean, it was like, man, it was, it was hard to be around him sometimes, you know, but, but he's a champion and he's a, you know, he, he did things. I remember the first time I met him, he was on team green and I was running the IGSBA at the time. And Mark Johnson was ahead of team green. And he said, Hey, you gotta, I was, I was in the neighborhood. We had a, a jet ski race somewhere. And he said, you gotta come to Loretta's and, and you gotta see Ricky Carmichael. You gotta meet this kid. And he introduced me to him and he's a little kind of chubby kid, you know? And yeah. he said, I mean, he just hauled ass, I mean, from the beginning and his demeanor, I don't know if it ever changed. Like he really demanded such uh, excellence of himself and he was unsatisfied if he didn't. And, you know, there was that era when I think that was kind of the way you did things, you know, it, 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 um, it kind of, I think going from, let's say the, the, Ricky Johnson, Jeff Ward, kind of O'Mara, you know, mm -hmm. era to the Carmichael, Stewart, kind of Villapoto, Dungy kind of era, which is a little bit longer. And now, now today, where I think the riders, you know, they don't, there's more respect for each other. You know, they talk, you know, more respectful of each other. They don't want to, you know, um, I think the, in the past, they couldn't even, the riders couldn't even look at each other, you know, yeah. really, it was, it was really like me or nothing, you know, it's all about me. And, and, you know, some people like that era, you know, and I think it, I was involved in it pretty heavy at the time, but it was just the way it was, you know, we didn't, the teams didn't make it that way. The riders were that way. Okay. And that was kind of how they grew up. And then you know, things have changed now. And I think that's the difference really in the paddock, how, you know, riders look at each other. Of course they want to win. Um, but there's, it's maybe we, maybe we don't have that Carmichael guy right now in the paddock, you know, that level of a guy that's, you know, so demanding of himself that there's no option other than I'm either going to race and win or I'm going to quit. It's been fun to talk one-on-one -on -one with people like Dave Prater, Andrew Baccarosa, and Bruce Sternstrom about whatever I want. And that's thanks to Big E and everyone at Yoshimira R&D for supporting this feature. Check out Yoshimira's website and social media accounts for more great content. Not like I'm, I ask you this and I'm not like asking you to like open up the whole Pandora's box on Eli. But to see what he went through in these last few years, the changes that he went through, like you said, at home, you know, to have a wife and two kids now and growing up and maturing, the pressure that he was under, the immense, everything, all the attention was on him. Every time it came into a Supercross season, it was, is he going to do it or not? 
to see that wear on a guy for so long, how do you, um, how do you, like the word I'm looking for, how do you help them cope through all the pressure? I don't, I don't know how much we can really do in that case, okay. because, you know, Eli is a very, uh, smart young man. And, um, you know, I think he, I think he was pretty level for the most part. You know, I think people maybe, you know, social media has changed a lot of things. Maybe that's one of the things that's changed the sport, maybe more than what we really would want to believe in some cases. But um, he was kind of stayed away from that. You know, he wasn't really engaged uh, so much in the social media side of things. And I think it kept him a little more balanced, a little more level. Um, obviously, you know, being in a championship hunt all the time, like he was, or at least expected to be, um, it weighs on anybody. But I think he handled it quite well. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, think I, his, I think his dad and mom were quite helpful to him in that case, because, you know, they were athletes themselves, you know, that at a high level. So. Okay. Um, the biggest thing, you know, when it comes to this is what is this perception that Cowie doesn't let anybody change the bike? We had this discussion yesterday. I've even said it in a couple things, the Supercross preview show and some other deals. You guys know what you want the bike to do. You know what it's capable of. Uh, you explained to me last night, you know, when it comes down to Supercross experience and expertise for Kawasaki as a global brand, all of that importance relies on that group in California in Foothill Ranch. You guys are the experts when it comes to this. Can you uh, kind of clarify for people where this idea of like, well, no, Cowie's so rigid and all the things that they want to do because, like you said, Jason wanted to try different things in practice on Saturday. He told me in How Was Your Weekend that he was working on something with the bike. He went back to his base. Where, uh, where do you see this internally? And then when you hear people like us or other fans or something like that on the outside kind of commenting about what you guys do as a group? I would say it's wrong. And... Um... Um, it's not true. And I think if you asked Adam and uh, Jason right now about that, they would, they would agree. Um, I think that, um, you know, we did, uh, we made some, we, you know, we made some additions to our team this year that I think have helped, but there's, you know, in the time that I've been here anyway, since uh, 2015, 2016, I guess, when I came back, um, I would say that's that's not the case. Um, what what um, uh, for example now you know with with um, uh, our testing group you know with Brian Kranz and um, you know we're able to make adjustments. And in fact, when uh, we we were building some suspension components and chassis uh, components for Jason coming onto the team because he wasn't able to join us until October 1st. And we really looked at it like that's kind of a short window for somebody that's never ridden an aluminum frame 450 in his life um, to, you know, to basically come onto the team. And we, we knew we had to hit the ground running. And um, the previous year, you know, we had two different types of suspension. We had KYB and show, and they're both good. They're both very good. But I don't think, you know, it wasn't ideal for our team and for development. So um, 
what we did was uh, we went, we decided to go with Showa and, um, and by adding Brock Tickle. So basically we went from having one rider on Showa to now three riders on Showa. And it really accelerated our learning curve and development. And by the time uh, Adam came in, uh, after he took a few, he took two weeks off after, um, you know, and then we, we got, uh, by October one, we had Jason in, in our shop. We were in a pretty good spot already with the suspension and, and the chassis setup. So we've, you know, obviously made a lot of changes since then, you know, small, more small changes, but, but depending on each rider has their own settings. And, um, uh, I think it's, I think it's worked well. And, um, so I, you know, when I hear that, people say that I'm like, you know, it starts somewhere and then it, it just kind of rolls. It's like a snowball rolling down a hill. And I, I think if you look at um, all the teams, they're really like that, whether they want to admit it or not, you know, they're, you know, because for example, we have on the 20, the, the 2019 through the 2022 KX 450, it's been the chassis has been the same. And so we have, we're one of the few teams and we were, I think we were the first team to ever run data on a race bike and supercross. So we have, we have tons of data on our suspension, our engine, everything, all, you know, the chassis. And so it, it's very helpful for the riders so we can show them. In fact, you know, now that the riders have gotten more educated about it, they'll come in, Hey, can I look at the data? Can I see what the data said? You know, I'm going through the, you know, it's a GPS so we can tell them on the track, okay, you're right here. This is your, you know, you've got, this is how much fork travel you've used. This is what gear you're in. This is, and it, it helps them as they go out. You know, we have a very short time between qualifying rounds in Supercross, but we have enough time to look at that data. So I would say that um, that's, a, I would say a myth. That would be my take on it. And like I said, you know, I have been one to say some of these things. Uh, and what I always meant by it was like, well, it's not like Cowie just has one set of parts that anybody's getting. You know, I, I've watched everything you guys did back in the RV days with Weimer, where there was initially some Showa KYB back and forth. And then Eli comes in and we know he likes KYB stuff. He liked the Nissan, uh, Nissan brake caliper system on the front. Like there were certain things that he liked that weren't things that you guys made, but you went out there and you made sure you got them. So he had what he needed. Uh, but the thing that I've always kind of, you know, where I say that stuff of like how he has a setup that they want is because like you said, you guys have the data, you know what it does, you know what the bike is capable of. And rather than letting someone get completely off and left field with some setup that they might think is the right way or, or whatever their idea is, you guys have the concrete proof of like, no, no, this is where it works in. And that's where you always kind of want to steer them back to or stay based in. Uh, but yeah, good to hear finally from the top where you guys kind of see this uh, conception of like, oh yeah, Cowie's doesn't let anybody change anything on the bike. Not true. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. You know, a couple other things that we, we talked about yesterday that I thought were just so interesting as a guy in your position. Uh, you said something about, spec bikes earlier you said um you know there are the production rules that you guys have to stay within 
there are other people I hear sometimes that are like, well, why, why can't Supercross teams just go completely free and do whatever they want and bring back the work spikes of the 80s? Is that something that you, as the spokesman and the guy that oversees everything for a factory 450 team, is that is that possible even, or is that something you guys don't even want anything to do with? Well, <clears throat> I think if you look at um, the practicality of it, so the U.S. is the largest seller of motocross bikes in the world by a big margin. It's something like 80% or something of all motocross bikes sold are sold here. And I think it's important that, for example, um, in Supercross, you know, we have, we need 40 riders in each class to, you know, to go through our qualifying systems and everything, a minimum of 40. And um, in motocross, it's 80, I think is what they take. I think if you look at what's going on in MXGP, where they have that rule, basically a, a works rule, they had 23 riders in the 450 class last week at Matterly Basin. That's where we would be because yeah. a privateer team literally could not afford to race. And I think um, there's, there's kind of a plus and minus to this. So the production rule forced the manufacturers to put expensive parts on the bikes stock standard, right? Because you can't change it. Mm -hmm. So when they made that rule, not every bike even had an aluminum swing arm at that point, you know, so it forced everybody to kind of up, update their technologies on production-based bikes in the biggest market for motocross bikes in the world. But I think the works rule would eliminate a lot of, let's say, I'm going to privateer effort would be almost impossible. Um, teams that aren't fully factory uh, supported would have an impossible time. They would just be filling out the roster and the cost for us as factory teams would be ex would be quite a bit higher. So it's, it's probably, I would say it's not really necessary. It doesn't really add anything to the racing um, here. Um, and I think the connection, because um, the luxury we have in, in our racing is that there's actually a retail component attached to it. You know, the, the bikes that we sell through our dealer networks, that's a huge thing. There's almost no other racing in the world that has that. So that the sales of those bikes help support our racing efforts here and overseas mm -hmm. from the U.S. market. So I think it would I think it would have a, a negative impact overall on the sport. OK, uh, news broke today about the World Supercross program. And we've known for a couple of years that you, as the guy that runs Kawasaki American racing development programs, you guys really haven't had a lot of attention for doing motocross of nations when it's far away. And at the end of the season, after all the expense that's been tacked on, your guys really haven't done the, you know, standalone supercross races throughout Europe. Where do you see this, uh, kind of going for you guys? And is this something that you guys will be interested in, or is this still a wait and see how it plays out? Well, we've obviously met with uh, the World Supercross folks, um, had some good discussions with them. I guess my biggest concern is riders. Where, where are we going to get the riders? Because the way their schedule is, it would follow. I mean, this year they're talking about doing some in the fall after 
let's say, uh, MXGP and our motocross series play out. But in the future, they were talking about it would be overlaid on top of both MXGP and the AMA motocross series, which is a challenge, I think, for American teams that, um, you know, support MX sports and, you know, are uh, racing here in the U.S. But also looking at, um, you know, getting, finding riders that can go through the whoops. And like I, I was talking to somebody uh, in Minnesota about it and I said, you know, we know everybody in this paddock, we know every rider that can go through the whoops. We know, we know their names. We know where they live. We know everybody. And there just aren't, it's not a big list. And I'm not talking about go through the whoops, like, like, a you know, champion level guy. I'm talking about just being able to do it and, um, you know, consistently for 20 minutes or 15 minutes in the 250 class. And that's the part I'm concerned about is, you know, we don't have enough riders right now really to field like even a, a backup rider for a team like ours when we lost Adam, you know, somebody that could really ride at a level where they could be, let's say top 10, because they're all taken, everybody's taken. So I think it's, that to me seems like the biggest challenge for the world supercross thing is, um, you know, we've lost, uh, uh, we have seven riders under contract between our 250 and 450 team. We've lost five of them so far to some form of injury. Some will be coming back obviously, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a tough sport. And I think that's something that that I don't know how we're going to develop enough talent to be able to field let's say two series like that mm-hmm. and not do damage to our, our motocross series. And if you look at MX sports, how important they are to American motorcycle racing, not just the, you know, the MX national championship, but the amateur championship, GNCC, ATV series, I mean, they're getting involved in electric bike racing. So they're, they're a, a company from a, from a motorcycle company standpoint where we're interested in selling bikes. They're making activity for bikes, not just at the pro side, but at the amateur and entry level site. And that's really important for us. So we would, it would be a hard, uh, it'd be difficult for us to walk away from all of that, really. Okay. Um, you know, on the test rider thing with Brock, you know, you guys have Brock as a test rider and there was so much word through the off season, like, well, if they need him, he's going to jump in. Is there a reason why Brock hasn't been added in yet? Yes. Um, we need him to be a test rider. Okay. <laughs> and, um, we're, you know, he could, I think he's a, you know, he could probably come in and be you know, in the top 10-ish area right now, but he's really not in, let's say, racing shape right now. He's in testing shape right now. And so, you know, putting him out there at this point would be, uh, wouldn't be fair to him or us really at that point. It's something you have to prepare for much differently than what he's doing for us right now. Okay. That was, you know, one big thing that we've, we've heard all the time. And I even said something on our podcast a few weeks ago. It's like, well, you can't really 
can't really do that just yet because Brock is so playing such an important role with you guys. But then at the same time, too, if you put him under that pressure of, okay, now you have to go race, now you have to go do all these things, then you could potentially add an eighth guy, you know, the eighth guy that you have under contract and a sixth rider to then be hurt. And, and then you have nothing for what you need Brock to be doing, which is his first job of testing. Right. And his value to us as a test rider is um, far greater than, you know, I, I think what we would need him for as a rider, as a racer at this point, even though, like I said earlier, racing is so important to us, but he's done, I mean, I would say he's been the, one of the biggest uh, improvements we've made to the team in this last year. Uh, we'll start winding this down. I know, you know, early day, we've been on the phone with an hour. I could talk to you all day, Bruce. Like you are such an interesting guy and like the things you see and the things that you've done and all of it. It's just so, I have a million questions, you know. Uh, So to wrap it up with these last two, where do you see the sport at right now? You know, we've gone through a lot of highs and lows in the last three years. Uh, If you really, I look back to where people's morale was in the last part of 2019, the first part of 2020, wasn't very positive. Uh, a lot of doom and gloom in the pit area, a lot of people leaving, a lot of talk about what was going to happen. Uh, we had, you know, the pause because of the pandemic and things that have changed from there. A lot of bikes have been sold, a lot of new interest. It feels fresh again. But then I'm also very leery of people being like, well, hey, don't fall into the old habits that you guys had three years ago. Don't don't get too complacent. Be thinking about what the next challenge could be. Uh, and don't think that this money that we have right now is endless because mm-hmm. something could happen. For you to be in your position, where do you see the state of the sport right now? Well, I, first of all, I'd like to, you know, I think it, we have to give credit to both Feld and MX Sports for, mm-hmm. you know, continuing through a very tough time with COVID situation. Um, you know, it'd be, there was a lot, there were a lot of uh, activities. I'm not going to say, you know, necessarily major uh, racing, but that stopped, you know, during that time. And I think they were, you know, especially Supercross, where you're in a major city and a lot of the, the stadiums are controlled by public entities where they could say, hey, you can't run events at the stadium where, um, you know, MX Sports, the events are more in rural, rural areas where maybe there's less restriction. So they probably had a better chance potentially of continuing their schedule without, you know, somebody coming in at the 11th hour like they did the week at, in 2020, the week after um, Daytona, we were going to Indianapolis and it got shut down by the city, right? Mm-hmm. The stadium effectively. So that was a threat that Feld had pretty much the last two years. It could have happened any week, you know, where the, the city or state, whatever, shut down the facility. So I've given them credit for really persevering over these last couple of years. Um, the motorcycle business has been fantastic. I mean, people are at home, they're buying bikes. We don't even have any bikes, you know, and I think most of our competitors don't either, which is kind of a bummer, but you know, there's supply chain issues and all this kind of stuff that everybody's heard. But um, I think the, what I would like to see in the sport, you know, things I think that are important to, you know, both supercross and motocross that would make our sport, better. And these are more long-term kind of things, but I think overall our TV package needs to be better. Um, you know, it should be, and that's something you earn. You have to work hard for that. And I think, you know, we're, we're kind of getting, you know, we kind of, 
maybe we're a little better a couple of years ago and then we've kind of lost our way a little bit. Um, second thing I would say, spectator counts. We really need to work hard on getting spectator numbers up. I don't know exactly how to do that, you know, but um, it's something that's really important to us as a team and our company and the sponsors of the series and event or sponsors for riders and teams and things like that. Those numbers are super important. Um, there's um, one of the things that I think is really important and we, we get nervous about a little bit um, because the competition side of it is so important and we have great competition right now. And I think a big part of it is there's a lot of equity in the products themselves. So the 250s, the 450s, everybody makes a good one. It's great. But you see it in some other motorcycle sports like road racing and flat track where they're struggling and they're, they're trying to balance, you know, a bike with bigger displacement with a bike that, you know, is smaller or whatever. And so that they've lost the displacement category mentality. So you basically have a sanctioning body that's playing God and saying, okay, you get to have these parts and you get to have these parts. And I would say, frankly, if it came to that, I think the support from the manufacturers would diminish significantly mm -hmm. because we want to race. I mean, like I go back to what I said earlier, how important it is for us to race and to have a chance to win heads up. Nobody's saying, okay, you get, um, you know, you have to add eight pounds to your bike because you're winning too much or, you know, all this. We don't want that. We just want to go, you know, and it's 450 cc, it's 250 cc. There's a minimum weight number. There's some production parts required, you know, frames, chassis, some engine parts and go. And that's, I think, a, a really big strength of our racing right now is the fact that we have that. We have good manufacturer support and Everybody makes a good product. So you can, you can win on literally anything, which is great. Really comes down to the team and the riders making it happen, you know, getting the last bit out of these, these bikes. Um, the other thing I think is we need um, a more progressive um, development program. The, we're, you know, we see futures right now in Supercross and, and MX Sports started their combine thing last year but I would like to see something more comprehensive. So as we get young riders coming up through mini bike programs and the, the, those handful of guys that really want to move on to the next level, there's really no place for them to race regularly. You know, there's big amateur races, but they're week long events and there's five or six a year, but it's not enough. And the, it's not a development program. It's really, hate to say it, it's a, it's a very successful money-making effort, really. But I, and that's, that's kind of the American way. You know, you go to Europe and they have European championship. And one thing I learned when I was running the, the IJSBA, the jet ski racing, Europe has a totally different take on sport. They call everything sport. So sport means you have to respect the sport and money comes after that. I think they're a little bit you know, maybe not 100% correct in how they, they really do it, but how they say it, I think, is the right way, where we really need to say, what, what does our sport need? And we have to have, we're talking about, we don't have enough riders right now, right? So we need to have a better development program for those riders that want to move on 
into professional racing. So that, you know, what we're seeing, especially now with the four-stroke bikes have more power, more torque, it, the, there's a longer path to getting to be a competitive professional rider than there ever has been. So we got to help that somehow. And I think, uh, let's say a combined like futures kind of program that goes through supercross and motocross to help develop those guys, giving them a chance to, uh, develop and they can still be part of Loretta's, you know, I mean, I know the MX sports doesn't, you know, that's a very important activity event, that whole Loretta's program from, you know, qualifying and everything. It's great, but we need this for the, let's say the, the riders, I don't, I hate to use the word elite, but the, the ones that want to progress through our racing programs and up towards the top levels. Mm-hmm. That's all good. You know, I, I could go on for this because like you said, seeing how Europe does things, the cultural differences that are there, I'm sure the cultural differences that you see talking to the people in Japan, the way that they go about things too, you know, you really have to take a lot of input from a lot of different sides and see how it's going to be viewed or receptive or what their thoughts are going to be. So yeah, cool to see how you're just kind of taking pieces from everywhere, seeing what it needs, you know, from being so, you know, involved in it, but at the same time too, stepping back and not just focusing on the one job that you have or the one series that you guys are involved in. Um, the last thing that I ask, and I asked this today, Prater the other day, you know, this is a fun job. I mean, it's very stressful. There are times where I'm pulling my hair out or I'm under the gun on a lot of work. You guys have a completely different level of, you know, experience and requirements and expectations. But every time I see you at the track and it doesn't matter where you are, you look like you're having a good time. You never seem stressed. You, you know, you enjoy what you do for your job. Being into it for as long as you've been, what makes it so enjoyable? What is it about this position that you have and this job that you have in the sport that makes you want to be there every Saturday? I mean, I love it, I think is the, the main thing. And I always, you know, tell people, I said, when I wake up in the morning, I can hardly wait to go to work. And um, I think that's a big part of it. You know, you, I work with a good bunch of people, not just in our race team, but at our company. Um, and it's really fun for me. Um, but it's a lot of work. And I'll tell you, you know, through this COVID thing, I, I haven't gone to as many races as I, you know, had in the past, which was pretty much every one. And it's, I mean, I always feel like I'm pretty level, um, but it's hard to, for me to watch it on TV. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I mean, the, the level of, um, let's say, apprehension is higher than if I'm at the race. Mm-hmm. And it's because, you know, I feel like I can't do anything. And really, I can't do anything anyway. Like, you know, I say once you kind of slap the rider on the butt and he goes, you know, into the starting gate, you know, it's all on him, really. And that's the way that that's the, that's the sport, you know, is, you know, we're, we're spending millions of dollars and we're relying on teenagers and 20 somethings to, for our success. And no, dude, I, know, I get it. I yeah. get it. I agree. But, you know, these are fantastic athletes um, that are incredibly talented. And I'm not just talking about the top couple of guys. I'm talking about anybody that can race, you know, make a main event in today's world. I mean, unbelievable rider talent uh, wise. And 
it's, it's, um, you know, just being part of that. I mean, I'm not the youngest guy in the paddock anymore. I was maybe at one time, but, um, I, it, it, I, I always kidded people. I, you know, that I, I feel like I'm 19 and now I said, well, maybe I feel like I'm 20 now finally, but this sport keeps you young being around young people and all the enthusiasm that comes from everybody that's in the paddock. And it's, it's, a, it is a lot of fun. It's, it's a lot of work. Um, but it's, you know, you get a report card every weekend, you know, like we don't need jo- reviews of our job, you know, cause we get them on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Everybody, you know, we go back to the company if we win, you know, you walk in there with your chest out and if you lose, you know, you kind of go in the back door and you go to work, you know, and, and try to figure out a way to not lose the next week. Yeah. So it's a, but we all, everybody on the team, you know, we, we all own this thing and um, we share it with the people at our company because they love racing too. Mm-hmm. You know, I, as I said to you last night and today, you know, it, it's such an interesting job. I see guys like you, uh, guys like Kehoe back in the day, Lars now, yep. Roger, Ian, just all the high level people that have this thing going. And there is a reason why they're there. And, you know, it all boils down to the same thing. They really enjoy racing. They really enjoy motorcycle racing and all the things that come with it. And what you know that's the initial thing that you want to do about the job but then like you said the paddock is so fun to be in and the group of guys that you get to be around it's one thing that makes you want to go but then once you go figure out what really is so exciting about a saturday you're like okay i gotta get back there the next week you know so i I feel for you and not being able to go to as many races especially because a guy like you or dave gallon guys that i know have been at every race for years to have to take that step back now and just kind of watch on tv has got to be difficult yeah it is, but, um, you know, I think it's, that's part of growing up a little bit too. You know, I have mm-hmm. really good staff, um, and, you know, Dan Fahey, our team manager and Ryan holiday, our, our manager for the team green program, and they do a great job. And, you know, I, that gives me the sense of pride for me that I had a little bit of part in helping them get there. Mm-hmm. Hey, Bruce, I had a great time talking to you today. This yeah. was awesome. Well, I thanks, Michael. You. I appreciate it. Of course. What's the next race you'll be at? Um, I'm not sure right now because, like I said, I'm working on this, this side-by-side project, and i got to get some things done this next couple of weeks here. But um, um, I, I've, I don't have any tickets in my hand right now, any plane tickets, but um, I'm sure I'm going to be going to some once we get towards, uh, let's say, the second half of the season or a little okay. deeper into it. So, Cool. All right, Bruce. Well, hey, thanks right. for doing this today. Uh, thanks for joining me on the Midweek Podcast. I look forward to seeing you whatever race this comes to. You know, I, right. uh, I'll come hit that coffee maker in the Cowie truck soon. All right. Thank you. Cool. Thank you, Bruce. All right.